A little research into product marketing, and the name Justin Jackson will show up a lot. Whether he's running his podcasting platform, Transistor FM, his bootstrapper community, Megamaker, his blog, Multiple Podcasts, or Twitter, Justin Jackson is prolific. Justin thinks a lot about product launches and marketing. He doesn't accept conventional wisdom. He's a keen observer of both business and consumer behaviors. He says rather than trying to get the market to find your product, you need to take your product to the market. The discussion meanders and covers a lot of ground, but it's tightly focused on making consumers aware of products. This is the first of our two-part conversation with Justin Jackson. Grapho CEO Laurier Mandon does most of the talking, but I kick things off asking Justin to catch us up on his history and talk about how he's ended up running a successful podcast platform. Sure. Yeah, I uh, was born in Edmonton and went uh, for university. I got my degree in business and, uh, you know, business management and marketing. And then right out of school, after I graduated, I went and worked um with a, a little snowboard manufacturer called Olive, which was uh, my, my friend Randy Jesperson, who's older than me, had started years before, and I kind of uh, apprenticed under him for a while, and um, yeah, I was introduced to the world of manufacturing and how, how all of that stuff works. And then uh, gradually over time, I've always been into computers, and so... Uh, gradually over time, I had a little kind of stopover where I, I started my own snowboard skateboard shop in my early 20s. But eventually I found myself in the software industry and with a focus on uh, product and marketing. And I've been doing that basically full time since 2008. So Justin, we've heard you say in, in your blog, I think it was, um, that with products, we talk a lot about jobs to be done. And mm. although the goal is always to do a job, more than anything, you say that people want to feel differently. Mm -hmm. How big a part is, is emotion? And is that do you find that's with most products or almost all products? That yeah. People want to have this feeling? Yeah, I think there's an emotional component to every purchasing decision. And it's usually subconscious in a way that people couldn't articulate if you asked them, like if you said, well, why did you buy this? They, folks will usually go to kind of functional or utilitarian needs. Oh, I, I bought this broom because, you know, I need to sweep. It sweeps better than my last one. But the truth is, is that the, uh, most purchases, what nudges us over the, the finish line of actually buying the product is emotion. So this broom reminds me of the one my grandmother had when I was growing up. Nostalgia is a really powerful uh, emotional trigger. Or this broom is the same one that people like me use, meaning my social group is all buying this broom and they're talking about it at coffee and they're saying it's amazing. Or I was over for wine at their house and I saw it. These are the reasons people buy is because there's some sort of emotional component to it. And this is especially true in B2C, but it, it also works in B2B. You see this all the time. Uh, and I, I've been thinking a lot about this line that Seth Godin says, which is, 
people like us do things like this. Have you heard that yet? Yeah, I, lo- I love that line. I love I love a lot of things that, that, uh, that Seth don't, says. Don't you, know, you wish he came up with that, that line? Day. It's, <laughs> it's so true. It's, it's so because he's talking about tribes, too. Are you talking about about how, you know, as a group, if I see the people around me are doing certain things and, and, and acting certain ways and using certain products, then I'm going to, in order to fit in, Mm-hmm. I I want to be one of those people like us, right? So so I need to I need to have those things as well. Yeah, yeah. And you see this <laughs> I so when I I moved into a new neighborhood here and I I live in a community of retirees and uh my new my neighbor came out and it was interesting to watch us negotiate our first couple conversations because we're trying to figure out are we people like us? Is he a person like me, right? Are we going to like and, each other? And are, yeah, what do yeah. we have in common? Yeah, and so you know, initially, I, I think we figured we figured out that we are both on opposite ends of the political spectrum. Uh, and this is all subconscious. It's not like we're negotiating this, uh, you know, consciously. But over the time, I've watched him. He has found topics that he knows will resonate with me. And so now when he comes over to my house, you know, he'll say, wow, can, can you believe what Trump said? And that's we, we found like this overlap of something we can talk about. I've got a neighbor who is the opposite. He, he knows what what irks me. So he'll, uh, he'll immediately come over and, and, and I'll see it in his eyes that he's coming over to bug me about something. <laughs> but But this negotiation happens all the time. We're always looking for. Uh, you know, we're comparing ourselves to others. We're asking ourselves, where do we fit in? And, mm-hmm. you know, think about if you ask folks, for example, uh, a business about, you know, why did you switch to Slack, which is, uh, you know, uh, internal chat software? Yeah, it sucks away our lives. We know yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sucks away your life. But if you think back to the original uh, decision do you remember where you heard about it from? I, I, I remember we first, we were using another chat platform, and I'm trying to remember what it was called, and Slack just seemed to do the things that it did better. So it was kind of, um, one of the people in our office brought it in as, as a test, and, and we tried it and, and jumped over to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that, that's a really good example, because it's something in that case that, you know, we were already using. So other companies might try it as their first way to communicate internally. Mm-hmm. So, and, so And even more interesting, you said somebody brought it over, meaning there was some sort of champion for the product for sure. internally. And, it, you know, it'd be interesting to know what emotional triggers did that person experience that made them willing to risk their social capital and bring that into a team. That's a big risk, right? Yeah, because you're talking about displacing something, right? Then it could fail. If, if Slack is the worst thing we've ever done and we find we're, you know, that the people aren't liking it, yeah, now, now you've kind of failed socially in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And you've, you're, you're opening yourself up emotionally to people telling you that's a bad idea, to there being opposition, to people wondering what the big deal is, to switching over and then it failing. Um, Yeah, all of those elements seem to be there in the same way that uh, if you're in a group of people, you know if they're Tim Hortons people or if they are Starbucks people. People like us go to Starbucks or even, you know, people like us don't go to any chains. People like us go to Ratio, which is, you know, the, the little cl- corner st- place there. All of these things are tied to our identity 
uh, and the identity of the groups that we relate to. Yeah. You know, and when you're trying to change behaviors, that's one of the biggest things. I've got, we're working now on a product that I can't tell you about quite yet for a client in Sydney, Australia, that the the goal of this product is to, to radically change people's behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in one of your blog posts, you talked about that too, that, you know, small businesses shouldn't be out there trying to change behaviors because it's such a big thing to do. You know, you talked, mm-hmm. I think you gave the example of selling ice cream on a beach. Go do that. Even if you're right next to someone who's successfully selling ice cream on that beach, you're going to be selling some. But if you're going to try and come up with something that's a a radical change from the way that people cool off on the beach or may even, you know, take them in another direction, then you're you're going to be in in a really tough spot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that that the listener should kind of, especially if if they are not well financed, should focus on um, improving on something that's that's already in stores, using you know the Slack example, coming up with a better way of doing something, then then go out there and try and 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 take to market this invention that they have that's going to require a more radical behavior change. I think the mistake people make is they start with product first. So even in that example you just gave me, uh, you know I'm using this widget and it doesn't work as well as it should, and maybe I can make something better. Uh, that's that to me still has too much risk. What I w- what I am advocating for now is to start with the market first, and I've just become more and more convinced of this that it's not product first, it's not idea first, it's not innovation first, it's market first. There's this great quote from Sahil Laving, I think Lavingia, I, I don't even know how to say his last name, but Sahil, the, the founder of Gumroad. And he says, the market you're in will determine most of your growth, meaning in the same way that the size of the wave when you're surfing will determine most of your ride, right? How, how, how uh, the, 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 the size of the wave determines how far you're going to be able to surf well, in the same way. Know, that, that's sorry. such a good point because, I, you know, it's... And I was going to tie that into to something else you said once about scratching your own itch. You probably said mm-hmm. it more than once. But, you know, how do you, how do you know, especially when, when you're behind a product and you love it and, and you're all in love with the idea, if that itch is something that's distinctly and weirdly your own or if there's millions of people out there that have that same itch that are, you know, how big is that wave? Well, you have to be able to observe it in real life. So even even products like the iPhone, people talk about this all the time. People say Steve Jobs invented something we didn't even know we needed. And that's just not true. Uh, I, I'm assuming both of you had Blackberries before the iPhone. I, I still do have a Blackberry. You still do yeah. have a Blackberry. See, this <laughs> I is, still this do. Is, I have a key, key one. See, so this, yeah. this and you is know, how, I had a Palm Pilot before that. So, yeah, so similar. These devices were selling in the millions. There's millions of people buying these devices. What Steve Jobs noticed was, first, the momentum in the market. Whoa, there's something going on here. And his second observation was, but something's broken. People use these devices, but many people are dissatisfied. There is a way for us to improve on what's here. But if it was, uh, you know, a, a consumer product that didn't have a lot of traction and he had made it better. You're listening to Product Knowledge, the podcast about creating and marketing products that improve people's lives. I was remembering Steve Jobs, the, the, his initial pitch for the iPhone was he, 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 he was talking about how 
you know, you have these smartphones, but they're not smart. You don't like them. And he, he was actually pointing out to the audience the failings of what was out there and saying, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you know, why do you have this stupid stylus? You have five, Which is a shared you have, experience you have with five people, of these man. on each finger. You don't need to have this thing you lose because everybody hates when you lose your stylus. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't need it. So, so he kind of sold everybody on this, this, hey, yeah, you know, I am, you know, dealing with something. I'm using something that's inferior. Hey, mm-hmm. I do need that thing that you've got there that, that doesn't have these same problems. Yeah, and and people often um, uh, mock him for those kind of uh, on stage, uh, uh, you, you know, when he's selling it like that. But they, they they didn't fall flat because people there was this shared experience. I think those observations were real. He really had seen people struggling. He really had seen people frustrated, and he also knew the power of being able to delight people with an experience, a user experience that was better. So he'd just come through with, you know, the iPod versus the Zune and, and other uh, MP3 players. He, he knew that if you could delight folks in the same category, you could uh, carve out a significant market share for yourself. And I think that's what it looks like, is you have to develop this muscle of observing people and seeing when, where, you know, observing when things are starting to gain traction. So for podcasting, for example, you know, every morning I go to my coffee shop for a coffee and I listen to what people are talking about in the background. And there's an, there was an evolution of, you know, first in the iPod era, it was, hey, what do you what do you have on your iPod? And then once the iPhone came out, it was what apps are you using? And then when Netflix came out, it was what are you watching on Netflix? And then one day, but this happened gradually, of course, people were talking about podcasts, which was this geeky thing, like only geeks knew about it. And so the fact that normal people were talking about it in a coffee shop made me kind of perk my ears up and go, wait a sec, what's going on here? And true enough, the data kind of bears this out. We just crossed the threshold of um, 51% of people in the United States have now listened to a podcast at least once. So now we're the majority of folks in North America know what a podcast is and uh, have listened to at least one. And of course, there's still. I find, I find it amazing. Of, it's so so low because I listen to podcasts all the time more than mm-hmm. anything else now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I'll just add. I've I've noticed in the last couple of months, more and more in radio trade industry magazines, you're seeing uh, discussions, conferences, talk, ideas, books about how to sell radio and audio. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. now this this understanding that, oh, we've got the infrastructure. We're just not sure what this form is, but we've been doing it all our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're now starting to figure out that, oh, this is actually just content and we can monetize that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, these are the, the kind of touchstones I think folks need to be aware of. Let me give you an account, a counterexample. Uh, and uh, I'll just take a quick sidebar to say... In my experience, the entrepreneurs that get this, it's usually because they're already in they're already in the stream. Like it's not like they just woke up one day and thought, "Hmm, I'll, I'll head over here." They were already kind of there, 
And then because they were there, they were able to observe things that other folks couldn't see. So in the skateboard industry, which is something I'm familiar with, uh, you know, I, I saw a similar thing happen because I was around when the PlayStation 2 came out and uh, this game called Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, which I think may still be one of the top selling video games of all time. And I was able to see how that resonated with teenagers, especially. And then also how it it turned into actual sales of skateboards, right? If we fast forward now, uh, I, I would say the skateboard industry is uh, signi- not signi- well, probably significantly depressed, more depressed than it was in the 90s. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, one, kids have these iPads and iPhones and everything else. They're just not going outside as much. Yeah, they have divide. They're playing with Tony Hawk on on their iPad or iPhone now, mm-hmm. or or a myriad of other things. Right. This is the what I like about jobs to be done, which is it brings up this idea that you're you're competing with everything, right? You're yeah, not just yeah, competing you're, with the things in your vertical. Your Netflix says they're competing with sleep. You're always competing with something, and so skateboarding is competing with a lot of things. They're competing with Netflix. They're competing with iPads and iPhones. And they're also competing with scooters. You know, these scooters are popular. And then these new um, uh, electric scooters, electric skateboards, electric uh, one wheels, all of these things that folks are discovering on YouTube. And, uh, you know, for folks in the skateboard industry who are very opinionated and, uh, you know, there's this kind of purist mentality of, no, like we only sell skateboards. This is what a skateboard is. And it's been like this since the 70s, and it's worked for us in the past, and that's it. And what I've been challenging them to think about, and it's difficult because for them, skateboarding is everything, but in a market, you can see when things have momentum and when they're losing momentum. You can see when the wave you were riding kind of dies down, and uh, unless you jump to another wave, unless you swim out and try to catch the next wave, you're going to get left behind. And it's not enough to say, well, I like this. It's not enough to say, well, people like this in the past. It's not enough to say, well, this is a good product. It's well built. Or this is an attractive product. It has the right graphics. It has, you know, or this is a well-priced product. All, All of those things matter, but they only matter in relation to how much magnetism there is from the market. Meaning, yeah. <laughs> like the market, if, if it's a hot day on a beach, like I mentioned before, if it's a hot day on a beach and there's an ice cream stand, the market will, uh, be, uh, will be pulled to the ice cream stand. The ice cream stand owner doesn't need to advertise. The ice cream stand owner doesn't need to introduce new flavors. People will show up. He could have one flavor. He could have vanilla. He could only have, he could be out of, uh, of uh, how come I can't think of it, of waffle cones. <laughs> he could only have regular cones. But people will show up on a hot day because it's hot. And if there's enough people on that beach, they're going to find him, right? Well, uh, in, in, in the same way, products, uh, a, a product is only as good as the attraction a market has 
for it. Well, and, and, you know, there's this other thing that we talk about called the minimum viable audience, and Seth Godin talks about that as well, and that is trying to find that, that smallest group of people that you can sell a product to that are enough to support it, and mm-hmm. if you can break through to those and sell to those people, um, that gives you the opportunity usually to minimize the risk, so you're not trying to come up with an itch that's so big that everybody's got it, but you're coming up with an itch that's substantial and enough of an itch that the people who have it are really, you know, they, they, they just can't forget about it. So, and mm-hmm. that's kind of that minimum viable group of people that, that you're going to leverage to, to make your product successful. Yeah. Can I, can, is it okay if I disagree with Uncle Seth on this one? Oh, oh yeah, please do. Because <laughs> I like a lot of what Seth Godin says, but in, this is one idea that I've just been thinking about a little bit deeper. Um, and the, the other version of that idea is um, 1,000 True Fans from Kevin Kelly, which is um, this really famous essay that was written by um, Kevin Kelly, who was managing editor of Wired for a long time. And the idea kind of goes like this, and this is Seth Godin's idea too. Uh, the web has allowed us to connect with billions of people. And because the web is so big, because we're able to theoretically connect with, you know, billions of people, even small niches have thousands of members. Therefore, you can target almost any niche and make money that way. And I just don't think that's true. (laughs) Uh, When I look at the products that actually get traction, uh, they're almost always aiming for a significant market. And I think what's been, what we're losing a little bit here, and maybe, I understand what Seth is saying, because he's saying, well, this doesn't have to be so hard. You can just find the the smallest group of people possible that will, you know, support your thing. And what I worry about there is upside. You need to have, every market has a ceiling. I'll I'll go back to that, that other quote I gave from Sahil, you know, the, the potential is built into the market already. And so if you launch a WordPress hosting company, what's the upside of your market? Well, it's millions, it's millions and millions of websites on the internet. It's the, it powers like 30% of the internet or something. That's a huge market. Meaning if you, uh, get the, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even know how to guess. If you get the thirty thousand or fifty thousand people that use WordPress in Calgary or Alberta, and if you get all of them as customers, you still have a bigger market than that. You're not just in the market of serving WordPress users in Calgary. You're. You could also go to the world. There's millions, and when we're thinking about the slice of the pie that we're going to get, you know, when we launch something, I think it's usually better to think bigger than smaller. The, if you, if you go, if you aim for a small market, my worry is that's all you might get. That's it for this episode of product knowledge and our conversation with Justin Jackson of transistor FM. Check out the episode notes for links to Justin and his favorite coffee shop. Visit graphosproduct.com where you can find more about Graphos, our services, ideas, or more podcasts or our blog. All our podcasts are transcribed for the deaf and hard of hearing. 
reach out on Twitter at Graphos Product or email us through the form on graphosproduct.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrea Schwabi.